0: This past week, I was on social media, on Facebook, and I, I noticed that the United Methodist Church had put up a, a great little article about why do we, not really why, partly why, why do we worship? What is worship? I didn't read it, but it was an interesting article title, uh, and I should have. Go back and find that. But, but it's something that, it sparked something in me from a seminar I had been a part of years ago, looking at, and I asked on email and social media for us to look at Leviticus 1-7. through 7. You can go back there if you want to later. How is it God's people have worshiped? Why did they do what they did? What, what was on their minds? What was on your mind when you came to worship this morning? Did I remember to put socks on the kids? Do they match? Maybe that was it. Did I leave the oven on? Where are we going to eat? Can't wait to see my church family. There are a lot of things that may be on our mind as we come to worship. And I want us to look at that uh, this morning as we go through this passage. There are so many good reasons to come. And again, it is, it is just an encouragement, isn't it, uh, to see one another. That's part, and it's God's goodness to us. That's why he doesn't say just to get, to, get together with one person. There are times where that's just the way it has to be, but it's, it's also why you have come this morning it's why so many of us are huddled around an iphone or a a tv at a hotel if we're out of town i want to just connect with my church family as hebrew says i don't want to give up meeting together that's always been the call of god but it's also been the great blessing that you and i get to enjoy Um, what is worship why do we worship Paul doesn't say the why here in Romans chapter twelve, but he reminds us of a good what. What is worship? Or another good way to understand that is worthship. Why is? How is it you and I say to God, you are worthy? Revelations four eleven says, "You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor." And power. The four basic words for Hebrew, one of the main words means not only just to pay homage, but it means I am face down before my God. I love one of the New Testament words for worship. It means kiss towards heaven. It's that reminder to us that even in the West, we, talk, we sometimes can make uh, 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 worship one of two things. Sometimes we make it too intellectual. I go to worship because I want to hear the word. Good. I pray you do. Just let me get the word, learn more about God, and I'll go out. Part of worship is to be intellectual. And part of it as well, we've done this in the West, is to be emotional. Some of us need to hear that word. It's because it's, it's, it's throughout all of Scripture. Watch David and the emotions he brings before God. Even Jesus' life to see that, that we need emotion in, our, in, our, uh, in the sharing of our affections before God. But this is a reminder as well, worship's really relational. Forget what the Godfather movie said. <laughs> it's in business. Every time we come to this place, it's not a formality. We get to meet with God. He is with us, and we're with each other. It's always relational. And so Paul here is giving us some of the what, and I love when he gives it to us. What's before Romans chapter 12? excuse my language, y'all are a bunch of dog sinners. (laughs) And you know when I said that part in the sermon it's when two families were late to the NPR service and they walked in. Y'all are a bunch of sinners. (laughs) And that's what they heard when they came in. So I had to explain it. But that's Romans chapter one through 11. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. But there is a free grace that comes in Christ Jesus where you and I can know salvation. It's not just that our sins are atoned for, but you listen to what he says in Romans 8 and elsewhere. There's a Holy Spirit that can give you power, not not just to receive what Christ has done for you, but to allow Christ's power to be in and through your life. But you were under condemnation. Now, Romans 8 says there's no more, no more condemnation because of Christ Jesus, but you were lost. I was lost, but because of Christ. No more condemnation. Now we get to chapter 12. And there's that word that Paul loves putting in most of his letters. Therefore. Because of this, therefore, here's who you should be. Here's what you must do. And what's the first thing out of, word out of Paul's mouth? After this great grace for a bunch of lost sinners, what's the first thing he says? Worship. This is your spiritual service of worship. If you're a Christ follower, you worship. You present your bodies. You, you present your minds. Your will agrees with God's will, which is acceptable and perfect. It's Worship. From the very beginning of Scripture to the very end of Scripture, worship saturates all of it. And so I, I, I just, looking back to Leviticus 1-7 through 7 and seeing that the sacrifices that were offered there, all that was before God's people, not just the Holy of Holies where God's presence was, not just the wasp basin, the table of showbread, this or that, But to be reminded, as soon as they stepped into worship, what's the first thing they really saw? That's where the offering is given, right there. They knew from the very beginning of life with God, and Paul mentions this in Romans 1-11, through worship costs. For us to have the relationship that we have with God, it costs God everything. His own son was gifted to us and, and died for us on his cross worship costs people of the tabernacle worship people of the temple worship they saw it they heard it they smelled it worship costs even even if you read that you'd have to put your own hand on that gift the gift that it was even to be slaughtered because it's your sin. They knew that worship cost. That which should have been mine has now been put on this animal. It costs somebody greatly for what I have done. And no worshiper came to the temple or to the tabernacle without some kind of offering. Doesn't mean we do that to merit God's favor. Don't miss me there. But because of out of his grace and his provision and his goodness, we always come bringing something. And typically, and usually, it was a burnt offering, which was the most costly. Worship costs. David said, I will not sacrifice that which costs me nothing. And that's, that's the picture you get here. If you go back to Leviticus 1.7. Now listen, it's not just us bringing. This is the goodness. As you look at that, it's a picture of what's going to come in Christ Jesus. And even then, back in Leviticus 1 through 7, okay, God, you want me to bring you all this. Turns out, what you would bring him, typically, for the priests always, and sometimes even for the families, that which you brought God gave it right back to you to eat most of it anyway. For people who meat was very costly, they didn't eat a whole lot of meat, so often God would say, you bring me this, sacrifices, I don't want it, you can eat it. Because he is unlike the pagan gods. The pagan gods who need to be fed. That it was either your food or some weird ritual you would do, blood or a weird ritual, to rouse them to get to do anything. And God says, I don't need any of that, I want you. You come before me, and you always need to come, though, rightly so, with an offering. But it's so like God that when we come to give our very best, God gives it right back. Worship always costs. I had an opportunity to meet with Kelly Stevenson. I was over at Beeson School there in Birmingham at the seminary for Pastors Week he's one of the wor- he's a worship leader one of the largest churches in Birmingham and he said he loves that our worship day is also a sabbath day it's a day of rest because he says when we worship if real worship costs and we're bringing our best to God then when we get through with that worship hour we should be so spent that we need sabbath that I am so bringing my body and my mind and my will before God in worship, that I have so participated in the singing and in the prayers and in the response that I am totally spent. And listen, I am so proud of you because I have watched for years now. By the time I get to the sermon, most of you are asleep, which means you just spent in worship. Maybe that's not why. Okay. So what do we need to bring? Now listen, Romans 12 is a reminder that worship is, and you know this, everything's worship. The way you work is worship. The way you do marriage, worship. The way you spend is worship. The way you do parenting, the way you do friendship, the way you play, worship is 24-7. But just thinking of this hour when we gather together, as we regather together as church family, how is it? we worship? What is it that we bring? Wasn't that the big question? First through sixth grade? Lunchtime? We didn't need economics class in high school. We knew how to trade and barter ever since first grade. Your mom bring make those brownies again. All right, I got I got two pieces of candy for your brownie. We just traded, right? That was the you opened up your Planet of the Apes your Sigmund in the Sea Monsters lunchbox. That's what I had. Don't judge me. But you opened up that lunchbox and you said, "What do you have? What do you have today for worship? What did you bring? What did I bring?" And as we go through Scripture, there are so many things here. That, that, that remind us, and I know we're taking a tangent on this scripture this morning, but how is it you and I bring our spiritual service of worship to the Lord as we gather for worship? And it's, a, it's an important question to ask because I asked it of that Ph.D. scholar who talked for hours about the Levitical sacrificial system, and this is what they this is what they did, and this is how they worshiped. And and off the cuff, in that middle of those very dry lectures, he ended up saying, Worship is sacrifice. And I just held on to that. And that's that's where we're going today. All of worship is sacrifice, all of worship costs. So I saw him afterwards and I said, that was great to hear. Worship is sacrifice. What does that mean for us today in the church when we gather together in formal worship? What does that mean for us? And this PhD said, "That was it. That's what I got from a PhD." He had no practical. He didn't say anything. Whoa, whoa, whoa. and that was it. He had no answer at all. What does it mean for you to bring our bodies and our will and our minds to the Lord in this hour? When we get to that word worship, especially as you see it in the Hebrew, as you see it in the Greek, there's this reminder first that worship really is not something we do out here, but it really is a heart attitude. Just a reminder to us as we come into worship that we are, as Matt Redmond in his book Face Down says, but also Chris Tomlin who was here about a week and a half ago doing a concert in Floyd says, we are drawn face down to the ground that place of worship where we are both secure and somewhat afraid, in love and in awe, bowed low, yet somehow lifted high. It's no wonder, too, and we'll talk about this in a minute, it's no wonder the very next verse in Romans says, yes, you bow your hearts down because the next verse, verse 3 says, don't you ever put yourself above somebody else. That that's the right position of every believer is to be humble and to be a heart bowed down down. I was at a worship class at West Biblical Seminary and uh, got a lot of friends in, at that seminary who weren't just Methodist and Wesleyan but were Pentecostal. It's the first time ever I had seen somebody face down. We were doing a worship class. We had a worship service. I just got through preaching, gave, you know, kind of an altar call, and a guy came down and got on his face. And I remember thinking, Wow. And after about 10 minutes, I thought, wow. Most prayers in your Bible are face down. They're not standing with your head down. There's people just down. Now, I'm 6'4 and over 50. I'm not going to model that for you. I'll lose about eight minutes of the sermon getting back up. But that, that's face down. My attitude as I come in, and I love that our cross is is here as we walk in. When I see how he humbled himself for me, I come in here and it's face down for you. That's first the attitude, and you see it. You see it in the Apostle John or Ezekiel, Moses, Abraham, Daniel, Jesus, uh, Peter, James, face down. I said this three years ago, but I'll say it one more time. I love that. I think it's when they knew the invaders were coming. Somebody can correct me. But when they knew some pagan invaders were coming, I think that's when they lowered the door. I don't think it was always lowered. But basically at Bethlehem, where we believe Jesus was born, uh, that door's about four feet high. That's how you get into the church. Because the thought being, not just the worshipers of Christ, but these people who are not of the faith that are about to invade us, uh, if you come to where Jesus was born, you bow. That's the heart attitude, that every time you and I come to this place, for all the other good reasons we come, first is a heart. That's at least what this word throughout the Old Testament, New Testament, speaking to God's worthiness, it's, it's a heart put low that we bow down. But then there's some, just some practical reminders uh, for us as we think about our worship every time we gather. I will never forget the verbal whipping I took over at St. Mark's Methodist Church, right out of college when I was a youth pastor there. We were at an evening worship, and the offering plate was passed. Now, what, an, what an, a great opportunity to worship. God's people have always given, and, and to be a part of God's kingdom work, but also to ascribe worth, the worthiness of God. Yes, that's a great gift, but I remember the offering plate on a Sunday night Vesper service got passed, and I just passed it to the next person. And that person, after they passed it after a few minutes, leaned over to me and gave me a verbal weapon. And I have held on to what she said to me uh, to this day. That was 25 years ago. You never let that vivid example of Christ's offering pass you without giving in return. Maybe it's a dollar, maybe it's a prayer. But don't ever be confronted with his gift, his offering, without giving something. Now listen, I'm stuck up here during offering time. And we're going to pass the plates someday. That may be one of the last things to come back. Oh, come on, coffee. That's coming soon. We're going to get coffee back. But I'm stuck up here. But you can bet I'm still scared of Miss Sarah over at St. Mark's. So when the plates were passed in my heart, I'm making sure I pray just in case Sarah comes in to check. That every time we're we're touching that plate, every Sunday morning we have an opportunity to give because we have been so greatly given to by Christ at Calvary. I wanna make sure at that moment I just don't miss that. That Christ doesn't miss my gratitude and remembering. Maybe it, it means we're just gonna to have to be intentional to bring a quarter or a dollar, parents or grandparents. my my kids or grandkids are always going to make sure that something gets in that plate even though most of us we give on first sundays that's just sarah and i's practice but to bring something else every other week so we're giving or even in the singing i i read a book a couple of years ago any of you read the book why men hate coming to church it's an interesting read There's a lot of reasons why men hate coming to church. I'm sure there's some reasons women hate coming to church. I could write a 20-volume series on why children hate coming to worship, especially preacher's kids. That'd be a big addendum. Um, Singing. Singing's one of them. Um, I I understand some of us don't sing. Now, you listen to what Wesley says in the hymnal about singing? You better sing. (laughs) We should sing. But I understand if you don't sing, maybe you don't sing, but don't let these words go by where you don't throw yourself on the altar of God and worship. In just a few minutes, we're going to talk about not only that God would receive the glory, but when we get to those words and we sing together or at least read together, he yielded his life, an atonement for sin. How do you not worship? in that so so methodists we're going to sing loud as john said but if you don't if you don't worship loudly if you're not a singer you can read those and never miss that opportunity to worship worship costs i'm not comfortable with it i know but worship costs giving costs maybe singing costs and i love what uh john Oswald said years ago i don't know if he said it here when he preached but i heard him say it in mcgee when he preached for me there where is the altar as we think about the Levitical system and they knew exactly where the altar was, right, or the Ark of the Covenant where they'd spray, put the blood of the sacrifice once a year for the sins of the people, we might say, and be rightly so, here's the altar table. But in the Methodist understanding, that's not really what we say anymore. Do you know where the altar table is now? And I love it because of Romans chapter 12. Because what kind of sacrifice are we to have in Romans chapter 12? It was easy when you had an altar table when you had, where you gave offering in the tabernacle or the temple. You'd kill the offering. You'd put it on the table and it would stay there. But what does Paul say in Romans chapter 12? It's a living sacrifice. And sacrifices that are alive tend to get up off the table. The Wesleyans years ago says, here it is. It's right here. You know where the altar table is? You you want to know where the sacrifices are made? Sacrifices of praises? Costly giving of of my life. I yield my life. I yield my my work. I yield my whatever that may be. I just put it right here at this altar rail. Maybe that needs to be uh, your response today or in the future. Paul will say back in Romans 6.10, Christ died once for all. Matter of fact, the book of Hebrews, we've been in in Wednesday night Bible study. Jesus died once for all. Our high priest died for us. But in response, you and I can meet him. You can meet him where you are. But this altar rail is open. Methodists, why don't we use this from time to time? And to say, I am giving you my body. I'm giving you my mind. I'm giving you my will right here. Maybe that's one of the ways we worship. And the last two things. This, this is a word of conviction for me, and I joke about this a lot, but whenever I'm convicted as a preacher, I don't want to experience that alone. If I feel guilty, I'm going to pass that off to you. All right? We can feel guilty together. There are not many tests. Uh, I just had, both my parents are educators, so I've always been real, and, and my father was my principal for six years, so I was terrified to, to, to not do well in school. So most tests I prepared well for. Many times, every time I'd step onto a ball field, I had done at least a week of preparation for that specific team. And I remember becoming a Christian right before high school. And every Friday night, I would pull out Romans chapter 40. You set my feet upon a rock, and you have made my footsteps firm. I'd be all high and spiritual reading Psalm 40 every time. But then I'd get to the part, now crush my enemies. So, anyway, it wasn't all grace. But that time of getting my heart right so God would crush our enemies. Uh, Maybe it's a work project that you are so diligent to always be faithful. As part of your sacrifice, your spiritual form of worship, I'm going to work well. I can't count on my hand. I can't. How many times I've not walked into a ball game or to a test or something like that without being prepared. But I can't count on my fingers and toes how many times I've come into a house of worship with zero preparation. I just walked in. To meet with God, to praise God, and to receive from God, I walked in with nothing. I mean, I walked in with, you know, walked in haphazardly, I was expectant, but I hadn't done anything to prepare. What could that be for you? 30 minutes or an hour before church, TV's off, social media's off, and I'm going to begin to get my heart right. Maybe it means Saturday night. I'm going to set aside some time on Saturday night. Father, tomorrow morning, it's going to be a war, right? Getting my kids dressed, getting getting all of us to worship, whatever it may be. I want to prepare right now. I want you to know tomorrow I can't wait to meet with you. Uh, Maybe it's throughout the week there's a set-aside prayer time. Maybe you serve on Sundays. You're an usher. You're a greeter. You talk with Lori about playing or singing as your spiritual service of worship. What are we doing to prepare ourselves for worship? And then this last thing. And it's not here, but it is all throughout, Paul. I I know that. But I love what a Christian author said. This isn't unique to me. But I love what a Christian author said about maybe we need to come to this room and forgive lingering resentment maybe that's part of our worship as we gather together i love that that was part of the new testament church before you come to receive communion you need if you got problems with you or a brother or sister you go you go get right with them first before you come here i love that that's part of the methodist invitation christ invites to his table all who love him and repent of their sins but what's the second part are you in love and charity with your neighbor Maybe that's part of our worship, that not only as we celebrate our relationship to God in this place, but that God has given us the body. And as we gather together as the body, if there's any problems that I have with anybody in the body, I'm getting it done. I'm taking care of it before I come into this room where the body of Christ has gathered. Throughout Leviticus 1-7, through but here also in Paul, because of this great grace, we're reminded that worship costs. Isaac got that. We'll close with that. Isaac got that. Remember in Genesis 22, when when he's taken up by his father there at Mount Moriah, that area, and Isaac gets it. He said, here's wood and fire, but where's the sacrifice? What we know about a thousand years later is that basically that same area, Mount Moriah is basically Mount Jerusalem, in that, it could be the same area, same spot. That that Heavenly Father, our Heavenly Father, did not have a ram in the thicket for his son, but that our Lord and his son, Jesus Christ, was sacrificed to us. Worship and love always, always cost. Isaac got it. What about you and I today? How is it when we come to this house, as we're regathering to say, when I come on Sundays, there's so many reasons to be excited. But, Father, prepare my heart. Father, give me a right heart attitude towards others, but also that I might be face down, that every element of worship, singing or giving or responding, Father, even at this altar rail, may I lay my life down. How is it you and I can continue in our worship? And let's do that now as we worship together. The closing hymn is in your bulletin. Let's stand together as we sing.